Hi, I'm uh, Tony Silva in Osaka. And Charles Wiz in Osaka. And this is episode three of Two Teachers Talking, where Charles and I get together every few weeks to talk about teaching um, ideas that work, ideas that don't, things that still confuse us, and a lot of things that we, teacher, other teachers and us, uh, we don't talk about so much. And uh, today we'll be talking about uh, walking on water. Yeah, and I can't even swim. Yeah. So, right. What, yeah, what Cat- happens when we're asked to perform what seems to be an impossible task? It seems like every day, doesn't well, it? Well, so, yeah, some might argue that we're asked to do this every week. I mean, given the conflicting priorities we're given, uh, the, the tools that we're given, the time frames, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but we're going to try to try to look at the, the most egregious examples, maybe, or some of the, the, the stories that really to- stick out. Yeah, and try to find the bright side. Yes, in all of this, which is and, actually and how possible. to cope with it because it's something that yeah, it, uh, this is this is not a new ca- unique case, and it's not something that doesn't happen all the time. As you said, ev- almost every day. How do and you I deal with that? Yeah, and we should put things in perspective that uh, when we're talking about walking on water, we're putting it in the context of teaching English in Japanese universities. There's a lot of teachers out there who are having to make do with far less and doing far more than we do. So putting it into perspective, we're yeah, we don't really we don't have to deal with these, guns in the classroom. Yeah, the outrageous much. kind of situations, conditions, and requests that seem to be put upon us as language teachers and just educators in Japan and in Japanese universities. Yeah, and I've got, I think I've got an example uh, to kind of put things into, into just general one? framework. Well, a good one. <laughs> a good one. <laughs> yeah, a okay, good one. I'm listening. Yeah, put it in front. So this was, um, you know, all of us were you know, taught to teach many different kinds of classes because English is English after all. You're an English teacher. You can teach this. Uh, and this happened to be a um, what the school wanted to be, I think, a, a TOEIC class, um, standard t- test preparation but it was uh, disguised in our, our reading class description. And uh, early on, I negotiated uh, use of my own textbook and fo- class focus so I could actually make it a real reading class. And I had about 30 students. And first day of class begins and with the usual uncertainties and anticipation and excitement, etc. And I, I noticed something a little bit unusual because, first of all, there's a, there's a student sitting in the front row. Well, that's unusual. That's very unusual. <laughs> very, very unusual. <laughs> warning, warning. Yeah. And but I'm, you know, I got my shtick, and I'm and I'm going through, and um, I noticed something very, you know, something very different, and um, I noticed that yes, indeed, uh, halfway through class, that there's a white cane under the person's desk. Wow. And uh, yeah, and I realized this, the student is the student is blind. In a reading class. In a reading class. I says, well, this is, this is a interesting situation. It's like, well, and I talked to the kids. I said, well, you know, I'll go talk to Kyomoka and find out what the problem is. So I go to Kyomoka about what I feel is the, an obvious mistake. And uh, he says, no, there's no mistake. <laughs> and, you know, I asked, to, you know, I walk right into it like a, like, like a bad communist. I says, well, what should I do? And of course, the answer: do your best. And I go, well, wait a minute, this is not going to work. Um, and this is one of those situations where, obviously, the people who are making the decisions have never taught a class. Uh, they really, you know, it's just ignorance. It's, you know, it's not they're not evil; they're not out to get me. Um, they had no idea what was involved in teaching uh, a foreign language 
or specifically reading skills in a foreign language. And um, after the you know appropriate teeth sucking and going up the chain of authority, they have finally someone uh, uh, an authority came and finally said, "Okay, someone will come. To, <laughs> he'll find somebody who can speak English, and they'll come and they'll explain it to me." And uh, from their end, what they envisioned would be their picture of the situation is that whatever material I was going to use in class, or I, I guess from their perspective, perspective, lecture on, I should give them, give it to them a week in advance, and they'd have somebody who was able to translate it for, to Braille. Hmm. And the teacher, then the student would have the material um, that she can hear fine, and she'd hear my lecture, and there'd be no problem. Wait, wait, hold on. Uh, yeah. Let me see. So, yeah. It's... <laughs> okay. Now, besides the multitude of variety of issues right here. So, they were going to take your English materials and translate it into Braille, but it was going to be Japanese Braille, right? That was that was what I understood. and um, But I'm still not completely clear about what happens... When you try to translate English into Japanese Braille, is it, I'm guessing it's very close to, not guessing actually, what I think I found out or to my satisfaction that this is what must be happening. You end up with something like katakana English in Japanese Braille. Wow. Because, because yeah, even Japanese, I mean, you think about the nature of the Japanese language when you convert it, it's, it's phonetic. It's, you know, you lose all the kanji. You know, you have right. some like general concepts, some conceptual things that are kind of shorthand, but basically you're just left with a phonetic transcription. Okay. And I think that what she was getting was a phonetic transcription, which for her kind of worked. And she had a, she had a, they kept calling it a machine, but it was a small uh, hybrid mechanical electrical computer that uh, enabled her to take notes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I don't think we're not saying here that, um, you know, you don't deal with that situation. I mean, of course, it's our responsibility as teachers. But to not even be prepared for that, not even given any heads up or warning, yeah, I think is I mean, really the issue, like, you right? Know, you know, sensei, there's, a, there's going to be there's a special student in your reading class. She's you might want to prep a little bit extra. I, you might have a, <laughs> a little, you might want a heads up on that. Yeah, just a heads up, exactly. And I think <laughs> what you're talking about... Not, is that the biggest problem usually isn't the heads-up warning. It's just, oh, sorry, we forgot to tell you. Right. So how did it turn out? Okay, well, when uh, I realized that this kid was not going to be given a special class, that she was going to be in my class, um, did what, I guess, a you know, serious teacher, which I really sat down and thought it out, uh, for the kid herself, I you know, did a little bit of research on Japanese Braille. I actually made a short little message in Japanese Braille. I think, like, you know, Hajime Mashite, maybe. Um, wrote it out on a piece of paper with, like, pinholes mm -hmm. so that she could read that. And, you know, just to give her a little bit of comfort, <laughs> first day of class. And, well, it would be the second day of class. But uh, the beginning of the term, uh, let her know that, you know, yeah, there's... There's a there's a bridge here, or try, trying to build a bridge, while I you know walking on water walk on back water. and forth. Um, that's a good but, actually. That's a good solution if you have to walk on water, build a bridge. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what I what yeah. I ended up doing was um, basically just teaching two classes simultaneously. 
um, she was she was bright enough that what I was able to do is to for her uh, give her basically an extensive reading class where I gave the for translation I gave them something that she would able to read and then she could write a, a summary each week and she was mm. she was good enough and when I was doing things that I that I thought might be applicable or to her way of reading uh, then I pulled her off that task and I had her you know engage with the rest of the class um, and then with the rest of the class I did the usual walking on water uh, where I had the usual you know odd mix of Japanese language students and a handful of Chinese students half of which were fluent in English or near fluent and one student I remember I had to teach the alphabet wow so I mean when I talk about this is a good example this is a pretty good example it kind of covers all the bases but yeah, uh, yeah how did that I wasn't, do it? that wasn't the same class though was it that was the same class that was the same Wait, class with, with the blind students yeah and the and the Chinese students yeah yeah wow. yeah how did I do it I don't know I was 15 years younger wow. yeah it was That's a trip great. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what what miracles have you been asked <laughs> for? <laughs> what miracles have I worked? Let's hear oh, about the breads and fish. Um, bungee jumping without a bungee cord. <laughs> <laughs> Landing safely, I think. Uh, you know, I think I have the more traditional ones. I mean, I do have a story where I had a student in a class. And this is years and years ago. And it was actually in a language lab. And... After a while, I realized that one student was definitely having trouble even managing to work the machines and interact with other students until my assessment of the student was that there was some learning difficulty there. And I remember that I went to my advisor and I said, excuse me, there's a student in my listening class and I think that she has some learning disabilities and needs some special assistance. Um, what can we do? And they said it's impossible for that to happen. Well, that's we a don't. stock answer, but it must have been a serious problem for you to notice at all because I'm, my, I'm that, my first I'm reaction, shallow. my first reaction, no, no, my first reaction was like, well, how does this, how is this different from anybody else in the class? Or how did, I mean, in order for this person to stand out with a lack of listening ability, it's, it's right. really got to be a big problem. There were the usual things that, um, you know, make simple directions couldn't be followed. The student was slightly isolated from other students. There were the usual little bit of snickering, guffaws in the classroom, you know, young people will do. But it was obvious to me me that this person needed extra help and assistance. And my response was, I'm really sorry, but I don't have the background. I don't know what to do in this situation. Um, I'm not trained to deal with a, you know, a learning disability student and I'm happy to learn. And if you're going to help me with it, I'm happy to teach the student. But at this point I need some assistance or we need to figure out what to do with the student so that they have a, you know, a reasonably good educational opportunity because I don't want to go through a class and ruin somebody's confidence and make them feel any worse than is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, which, make, make the situation worse than it is. Yeah. But it was the, the constant denial. And I really had to push and push and push and say, look, has anyone observed the student? Has anyone tested the student? And my supervisor was very upset that I had you know, gone ahead and pushed on it, but I said, this is my responsibility as a teacher is to ensure this. So anyway, basically it ended up that they didn't do anything. And th- my way of dealing with it was I had a talk with 
the students, where we talked about what's the responsibility of students and how should we interact, and that I teamed every student up with this student over the course of you know five weeks, one third of the semester, mm-hmm. and everybody had to work with that person, and they they kind of caught on after a while that hey oh, that this is nice what solution. we have to do. Yeah, uh, well I was lucky that they were nice kids yeah. also, but I mean most of the time they are nice kids, nice students, but they got into it, and I said look you know we're all working on this together. I said from the top level person to the bottom level person in terms of your English ability and it's just like I said we're a team and you know you don't deride your right fielder who has a bad throwing arm good good I mean good move like to to push that group button for them right because that's something that they will respond to right that's, that, was, that was that was bright that was very good right so I got lucky on that one but I think usually the walking on water things it's as you said or that I'm asked to do things by People who are in the education office, Kiyomuka, who have never taught, have no idea what's involved in teaching, and they'll do things like, okay, we need your, um, they'll ask for some kind of report about your education philosophy, your approach, your curriculum, and we need it in a week. Right. And the idea that, excuse me, but first off, asking for anything in a week is slightly considered to me rude, since you probably have known about this for a while. But the problem is that it's people who have never taught. And I think we've talked about this, right? That Mm. the Ministry of Education in Japan, when people go into that ministry, there's no requirement that they have a master's in education or even have majored in education. Right. So the people who are making education decisions are actually people who have very little background in education, and the people who are in the education office in our universities also are not required to have any education. And I don't know about your schools, but I work at a public university, and these people are rotated out every two years. That's that's common in a lot of universities. Right, so nobody has any knowledge, and I'm basically dealing with people who are not don't have a background so that's for me that's one of the hard things about walking water so i have to slow down and say to somebody excuse me do you understand what's involved for example they don't understand that you go home and work (laughs) right the idea that you know these people are working in their offices and they don't take their work home with them yeah it's very different and as my different thing right exactly there's a completely different concept of what work is and i think it was my wife who when we first got together she was like well Teachers have a good life, right? And then after, <laughs> right, exactly. And we do, we do. Let's not knock it there. But after about two years or so, she looked at me one day and she says, "You know, I've never seen you come home and not work." Yeah. And even during the holidays, she says, "You'll take a couple of days off." She says, "But you're working." She says, "It's not what I thought it is. Yeah. It's not what I thought it was." So, I think part of the walking on water is dealing with those outliers, right? That the school does not provide support for. Yeah, and there's and there's so much of it. You know, for example, I've got one school, and they've 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 remedied this a bit. But in the, the situation this year, they had uh, requested teachers submit their grades and have testing done two weeks before the end of the term. Grades due. Oh. Grades due two weeks okay. before the end of the term. So let's have the playoffs before the season finishes. Right. Wow. <laughs> now, what, what's what's the justification for this one? I mean, oh, was there? Oh, it was obviously their time because with you know many universities going to a fifteen-week semester, the office didn't have enough time to process the grades if we gave them the grades in the sixteenth week. So we had to give the grades in the thirteenth week. It's obvious. Oh, sorry. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little slow on the uptake, you know. And for those of our listeners who are, are here, this is a, a Saturday morning, right? But I'm always this slow. 
Okay, so how do you deal with that? I mean, so obviously you push forward your your test, and then you have two down weeks, right? Right, right, right. And how did you deal with that? Well, you know, you you, you explain to the kids that you know the, the great, you know, this your testing is over, but these things are going to be useful. You just find things that are useful and enjoyable. You know, so the last day might be a video. You do a little discussion afterwards. The day before might be music, listening to music, listening skills, discussion about you know what kinds of songs you use and things. So. Yeah, you just you just turn it around to your advantage and to the student's advantage, right? Do something that's interesting off the, you know, a little off the reservation. So, what percentage showed up on those last two classes after you've given uh, the test? Very, very class to class. In some classes, I had close to hundred percent. Some classes, I had you know maybe a quarter. Yeah, well, that's a whole other podcast yeah. in itself, right? Yeah, class yeah, yeah. Personalities. class personalities. Jeez. Right. Absolutely. And when you talk about walking on water, by the way, right, that's what do you do when you walk into that class on the first day? <laughs> and by the way, I, you know, I, I need to go back, I think, and apologize to all my elementary school, junior high school, and high school <laughs> teachers. Because, you know, as a student, you have no idea that different classes have different personalities. And now it's sometimes I could walk into a class and you'll think, wow, this is a really active energetic group of students this is going to be fantastic and sometimes you are just met with that i guess it's pink floyd's the wall <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no one yeah teacher leave these no kids one teaches alone, you what right? to do with, with any of that right i mean that's, yeah that's, that's amazing how do you that's the hard one i think that's the real one yeah of having to walk across waters what do you do in a room of um 30 to 40 students who have absolutely zero interest in learning English. They know... It's that that scene from Peggy Sue Got Married. Did you ever see that? Saw it. I don't know the scene you're talking about. Yeah, right. It's the one where she's gone back in time and she's in her algebra class and finally she slams her book closed and turns to her teacher, Mr. Wilson, and says something that I know from previous life experiences that I will have absolutely (laughs) no use for this. (laughs) And these students most likely will not have any use for English. How do you teach to them? How do you get them interested? And I think, actually, that's the one walking on water thing that I probably resent more than anything else is that, you know, what people say, it's your responsibility to motivate these students and generate an interest in English for them. And, you know, that's like when I just feel like I got a rock tied around my ankles. Well, in another case, it's maybe one of those backhanded compliments. Right. Well, you have a story about that, I think, don't you? Where, yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the backhand compliment, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. So I had this, um, t- I taught at un- one university for several years, and I had developed, you know, from firsthand experience, this extremely negative <laughs> view of the students at this university. It was like, <laughs> this this is a sham. This is this huge diploma mill. Um these kids don't belong in a university and it went on for a couple of years and i talked to several people you know other teachers and it's like you know just really didn't gel and i you know, i'm not well this time i was not an inexperienced teacher and i said something's odd here and after, years later maybe i found out that yeah in fact i was being assigned all the lowest whichever department it was i was getting assigned the, the lowest level students <laughs> and then I confronted the you know the person. Well, what the hell are you doing? What's going on? He said, "Ah, well, you know, we have to give the, the, the more difficult classes to teachers who we know can handle it." Oh, like, gee, oh, thanks. Are you, are you paying me more for that? 
or you know that's a piece of information or, that would have or kind let of me know helpful. or make the classes small i mean some kind of adjustment other than oh yeah you can do it it's kind of like watching usual suspects right the most important piece of information comes at the end yeah <laughs> or six cents right Jeez. oh missed that one yeah those are i think very difficult and the idea that people for, wouldn't inform you about the level right. of your classes. But yeah, then the bright side to that is, you know, it's a great experience. <laughs> well, it's a nice compliment. I don't mind compliments. Don't get me wrong. But just, I mean, just like know, slugging it out, know. slugging it out in the in the in the lower end of the leagues, right? Year after year after year, it, it kind of prepares you to handle almost anything. Well, what makes me crazy, I think, talk about walking on water is when you walk, you're in a program, and they basically want you to use the same textbook or the same materials. Um, oh geez! Right, you know oh, this I one, got a right? Story. I got a story. And you got class levels, and they want you to go through. They'll say, for example, you should um, go through chapters one through ten of the textbook at the end of the year. Um, yeah, yeah. Even though the students, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. might not even be able to handle the language in the text. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can't even. Like, let alone the exercises, I mean, the description of the, what to do in the exercises is a, is a total mystery. Right. Well, my story on this one, too, is I went to one university and uh, I was given a, a class and I said, so what are the objectives? Seems like a fair question. <laughs> I know the answer. Right. And the person says, <laughs> finish the textbook. <laughs> finish the, exactly. Finish the textbook. And, you know, the, now my walking on water incident there. I Again, we'd be clarifying what, the, what, what exactly they're asking of you, right? Right. Exactly. It's, 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 it, I mean, it was a clear answer, right? But yeah. I, I said it again and I said, I'm sorry. I'd like to be clear. I'm asking you, what are the learning objectives? What are the goals here? And it was finish the textbook. Yeah. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. You know, it's like, what do you do? Okay. And all you can do in that situation is say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, what textbook? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, oh, I we got, haven't got, picked yeah. a textbook yet. <laughs> I mean, I've got so, a story. I've got a story like this too, almost like that. I mean, well, it's actually mine's actually a little better. Sorry. Um, what do you mean you have a better story? <laughs> yeah, this was this was very early on. It, this, this is when I was at a at a Samongaku. I didn't have a lot of teaching experience at the time, and um, one of the teachers was writing a textbook. I said, "Well, that's kind of." Then he enlisted my help. I said, "Oh, this is kind of cool. Um, it's an international cultural type of thing." He's writing a short. Uh, kind of, you know, TOEIC, TOEFL-based reading with, you know, comprehension questions afterwards. It's like, sure, I'll give you a hand. And uh, blah, blah, blah. So we got through it. It was fine. And then later on, I realized, oh, this is going to, as with many private schools, many Semangakos, that the owners, presidents, their dream is to have their own materials and their own system of education, which is going to make them special and different from everybody else from a marketing standpoint. But anyway... Um, Did you say scam point or scam? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there a difference? But uh, when so they, they so, so there was this product, there was this book which was not terrible. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't my book. I just I just assisted with it, and then it was announced in one of the meetings that yes, indeed, next year that textbook would be used by every student in the school. And that ranged from um, your. This was a this was a semongako on the south side of Osaka, so some really rough 
damaged, disadvantaged students. Disadvantaged students. They're there for. They were there for a reason. There is. There's a reason that they weren't in. And this is. This is going back. This is like twenty years almost. Um, there's a reason that they're at the Semangaku and not at the university. Two, right through graduates of Japanese universities, there for postgraduate interpretation translation. And everybody's using the same textbook. Okay. Fail. What do you do? Do Plane your best. going down, crash and burn. <laughs> I remember for the um, for the advanced class, what I did was I had a couple of uh, I don't remember which titles I used, but there were a couple of um, novels that were written. One was about China, and I don't remember the name of it. But yeah, I just went to this bookstore and I got or no Amazon then uh, in Japan. Went to the bookstore, bought four copies. <clears throat> ripped up the copies of the book, gave it to different groups, and aside readings, and, okay, so you guys, for next week, you're going to read page 1 through 40, and you're going to report to the group, and the next group is going to do that type of thing to supplement what, you know, the this mm-hmm. other quote-unquote textbook that they had to use. And um, I don't think I had to use that textbook for the lower classes, but I don't know how they managed yeah, yeah. Well, that's such a common thing as being assigned the same materials across the board regardless, <clears throat> yeah. right? And I think one of the things that's really important is there's just no arguments against using group work in any classroom, right? Always mm. valuable. Yeah. But when you have mixed levels, group work is the only way to go. Mm. And, um, you know, I make sure that I mix students with different levels into different groups. And, you know, one of the ways I deal with that incredible difference in abilities is that students are assigned group scores as well as individual scores so that the top, you know, students with the best abilities aren't penalized. But that also brings up that they have a vested interest in bringing up the lower level person. And uh, but that's always a hard one. Right. That incredible mix. I have something like that at one school where I get maybe out of a class of 30, 28, 30 students, six to eight returnees Mm. who are basically fluent. Mm. Um, And then, you know, 12 students who are kind of maybe middle intermediate to slightly upper intermediate. And then I get about six, six to students or so who have very little language ability, English language ability. Mm. I think they test well on a written test, but they're not able to produce anything. And that's a hard one. I mean, that's where the gap is kind of similar to what you were talking about. And as, and as you said, it's like in that kind of situation, um, the, the putting them in groups and the group work is invaluable. There's really no other way to do it. And I think you've had some really nightmare, like huge classes, right? I mean, you've had well, nuts I had a, classes. Yes. At one place I taught, and this is years and years and years ago, um, I was given a English conversation, which is basically an oral production class, right? A conversation class with yeah. 140 students. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of I like mean, dancing on water. I think it's a little bit beyond walking. I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, there's first off, there's no way to monitor, right? <clears throat> and... Even, you know, I remember I thought, okay, I'm going to do my usual thing and get students into pairs and groups, and that took 15 minutes, right? And um, how do you take role with 140 students? That's 10, 15 minutes. Um, that was not my most successful class, and I, I think I was a beginning teacher that I maybe had. Well, not a beginning teacher, but I maybe, I guess I, I still consider myself a beginning teacher, even after teaching for this long, but... I think that's one of those situations where I did what a lot of people did is I just uh, buried the class in the textbook. 
right? You know, did the recordings, we did the listenings, we did a little bit of practice, then there was a little bit of a listening test, and basically the class was turned into a listening class. I didn't know how to deal with something that big. And I think that's a good point is at some points in time, you just have to say it can't be managed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unmanageable. You walk on water. You sometimes you just say, you can't do it. It can't I be don't done. swim. I don't swim, you know, and it doesn't even matter if you give me a life preserver or a raft, the waves are too high <laughs> or what is it? The, <laughs> the density of, uh, you know, is just there. So in that sense, I just ended up, you know, working out of the textbook. Yeah. Right, playing the CD, or, or back then it was the tape, and having students mark the answers, and they say check the answers, and we'd move on to the next exercise. But there was no way that I could run an English conversation, no. or you know, a conversation <clears throat> class a, no, with one hundred forty. No, it's, it's crazy, yeah. And um, yeah, I I've never had something that size. I, you know, we've all had like you know impossible situations. Um, I had a class where I had about forty students, maybe. And, um, yeah, very mixed levels, mixed motivation levels as well. But um, overall, not a terrible group of kids, but uh, a totally inappropriate textbook was had been selected. And uh, it was, yeah, it was like three steps beyond what they were able to do. Uh, and sometimes you have to um, kind of maybe let the students guide you let them know what they mm. what they can do and, and it, that's kind of what th- this was a revelation to me at the time because this was because I, I tried this and i tried that no success no success and i kind of let them teach me what it is that they could do and mm. what we ended up doing with this class because this is what this is what they could do and this is what they actually ended up enjoying doing and it, it's you know it sounds awful they memorized they they wrote their own Dialogues based on models, memorized them and recited them. But that's what they wanted. That's to what do. they want. That's what they were able to do. They were able to do it successfully, and they—that's what they wanted. So, mm-hmm. okay, that's what we'll do. We will go through some vocabulary from the textbook. We'll talk about the topic. I'll give you, and I each week I created a dialogue, put it on the board, um, use that as a model. Go. Mm. Um, I don't know. It, well, this is, I think, something you've said before, which is that you have to, we've talked about this, where you say you have to trust yourself. Yeah. Right? Well, that's the thing when you, and yeah, we're kind of, yeah, kind of winding down, but yeah, it's one of the things that when you're confronted with one of these impossible situations, yeah, you've got to have some faith in yourself. It's like, <clears throat> one, and one of the things that I would have done, for example, with my blind student, if I had I, the situation arose now, no, I'm, you know, had got enough experience, confidence like, to tell the department, like, no, this is an unworkable situation. You're not being fair to the student. You're not being fair to the other students in my class. This student needs a special class. And I'm willing to do it for money. Um, but it's the school's <laughs> responsibility to provide yes. that. It's you, you guys are scamming here. And uh, now I'm able to say that at the time I wasn't. The thing is, have faith in yourself and for your other, for your students in the other situations, um, yeah, the fact that you're aware of that, the, the fact that you're thinking about it, the fact that you're concerned about it, that's an indicator that your student, students are lucky that it's you. Um, yeah, good point. They, good that it's you uh, in the classroom rather than a teacher that doesn't give a rat's ass. Yeah, and there's not too many of those, but there are some. But I think the there's other more, thing yeah, there's is that more than there. One is too many, right? But yeah, they're out there. Exactly. Right. It's kind of like the bad doctor. Yeah. One is too many, but 
the thing I you're mentioning is that you have to trust yourself. You have to have faith in yourself. And always, again, the thing is, is what's best for them? And that's an incredible argument. And if I'm going to suggest anything to people who are listening is when you get into those situations, don't go in and talk about, you know, how it's affecting you. Say, this is affecting the other students. This is detracting from the other students' learning opportunities. This is not fair to the students. And that has an incredibly different effect on people in decision-making when you say that. Yeah, and you, beyond the welfare not of the students, from the goodness of their heart, either. Right. Sometimes Welf- it's not from the goodness of, of their the hearts. Students, welfare of the students, right. and reputation of the school. I know that sounds a right. little bit it- like blackmail, but it's effective. And uh, yeah. one of the other important things to remember is that, yeah, with something that I know now that I didn't know then, everything is negotiable. Um, they'll come down and then you know, no, it can't be done. It can't be done. It can. It can be done. Yeah, not not 100% of the time, but you can get, you can get, there's a lot of wiggle room there and you can get a lot of stuff done, uh, which is a little bit of persistence in the right way. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to lose your temper. You don't want to be a uh, pain about it. But again, welfare of the students, reputation of the school, fair to fairness to the other students. Yeah. Don't, don't hang out your welfare because that's really not very high in their priority list. Right. And the other thing that people should remember, and again, especially talking up for or talking to more recently arrived teachers to the field, is that it's your classroom. You don't need to change a policy. You're given a lot of authority. They're given a lot of trust that what you do in the classroom is okay. Yeah, there's a lot of autonomy that comes with that closed door. And to use that autonomy. Make use of it. You know, you don't have to get approval if you need to change something. And the other thing is document it. You know, make take good notes on your classes. Yeah. Um, if you decide that the syllabus didn't work, you know, make sure that you say first day, try the syllabus. Level of students is not appropriate for the syllabus. Use this exercise. Then the second week you do the same thing. And the third week you say, okay, I have to change the syllabus. And if anybody ever asks you, you pull out your notes. That's so and, important. That's a really good in Japan, that, that documentation is invaluable. Right. Good, yeah, good and in tip. Japan especially, you pull out notes when somebody says, excuse me, but you, you're you not teaching according to the syllabus we asked you to, and you pull out your notes that say, I gave a quiz, right, and I had, you know, 80% of the students scoring, you know, 30% or under, um, I checked their vocabulary and then compared it to the textbook, people will understand that you have done what you need to do, but actually what's happening is they realize that there's no way to argue. Yes, so document, yeah. And I'm not talking about you know hours of work. I mean, no, just, just notes, just your notes on what you did on a particular day. Period. And keep your notebook open during class, or keep your computer open during class, so you, you can write down like little notes. And this, by the way, is where Twitter is fantastic. I have my own private Twitter account, and I keep it totally private. And I send myself just these little notes huh. during classes, right? That'll say, uh tried this activity, total failure, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't present it properly. Or such and such a student acted up in class or somebody fell asleep for the third time. Twitter is really great because you've got that permanent record and it's Mm time-stamped. Very good. Interesting thing. Yeah, and I've got... uh, Well, this would be a topic that we'll talk about in the the future, but what we each of us do that we find works, that use of Twitter is very exciting, very interesting. 
I've got right. some tools that we use for that. But like right. for so to kind of kind of run in the short on time to sum up what we did today. So first of all, let's start with the, the end here. Um, the importance of documentation. Yes. Um, really, very, very important. Just so you remember what happened too. Yeah, and then, yeah, those notes will help you in the future, even if nobody nobody else ever has to see them. Um, they're really important for you because you, again, at the end of the week, the people ask, "What did you do on Tuesday morning?" Without notes, you'll have no idea. Yeah, right. Kind of um, like, what did you eat for breakfast three days ago? Yeah, have faith in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're trust in the class, trust yourself in the classroom. Um, negotiate, ne- negotiate mm-hmm. anything, right? And never accept the first offer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think be willing to bail if you have to, yeah. and toss out your syllabus or toss out your lesson plan. And I like the one you said, which is not trust yourself, trust the students. Yeah, yeah. Remember right. that. Yeah, you're not, you know. Again, we talked about this. Um, uh, before about but not uh, creating some kind of antagonistic uh, relationship with each other. I mean, make sure that you know the students realize and you remember yourself that um, keep yourself and the students on the same side that you guys are doing things together. Right. And uh, yeah, they'll step. They'll, they'll surprise you. They'll step up. Yeah. And by the way, just adding this, I know we're we're trying to wrap up, but um, I was asking some students. And, uh, you know, if these are students who are going to be teachers, and I said, hey, what are some things, it's the third week of class, and I said, what are some things I could do to teach better? And I thought I'd challenge them. And one student said, you know, why don't you email some students and ask them how they're doing? You know, how's the class going? Do you need any help? How's my speaking level or something? And, you know, I took that student up on that, and I sent out emails to my students. Mm-hmm. and. No more than 10% responded, but you could really sense from the emails back that the students really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, ask them for things or get feedback as much as you can, right? That yeah, helps good a good homework assignment, huh? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, as I think I told you, another thing is if you give students a quiz, always ask one informational question. How's my speaking speed? How are you feeling? Do you feel yeah, that's like your brilliant. English is improving? You know, that's always add one question because when you feel, yeah, it's it's amazing. I can't believe it took me this long to figure that out. <laughs> a lot of stuff like that, isn't there? Damn it. Oh, I think I think that's that, that's another episode in itself, right? It's so embarrassing it's sometimes. The no, after, it's a no-brainer after the fact, right? And then you look back and you think, how could I have not thought about this? But, yeah, so the idea of there are some possible situations, you're going to be put into them. And the other thing I just want to add, Tony, um, and I think this is really important, is if you're a teacher, you got to remember you're going to teach some bad classes. Yeah. You're going to fail and you're going to hurt some students and you're going to waste some students' time. It's like being a doctor. You can't cure everybody. Right. Right. So the rule is... Do no harm. Yeah, yeah. When you're in that impossible situation, figure out minimally, how can I do no harm in this situation? Because bottom line is, if you can do that, you're probably doing better than most people would be able to do in those impossible situations. Yeah, nice observation. Yeah. So what are we talking about next week? Next Uh, (laughs) next week will be fun. Next week will be fun. Yeah, last week we were talking, last week we talked about, or last episode we talked about classroom space. That was a bear. That was really hard, and uh, it was hard to talk about, hard to think about. Because um, it's a hard topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, next right. week we'll talk about what happens uh, when, uh, yeah. <laughs> when you lose it. <laughs> you find it. the end of your rope and you'll lose it, yeah. Right, and this means, you know, you don't know what to do, or a student's pushed you over the edge, or there's some 
right? Yeah, what happens at that edge, right? What <laughs> What's yes. on the other... We're going to the other side. Right, and in Japan... For us, where we just finished the Golden Week holiday, which is the last holiday, basically, in the spring semester. And we have something in Japan that's called Gogatsubyo, which means May sickness. <laughs> kind of like, kind of, it's kind of like spring fever, but it's a, it's a, it manifests itself a little bit differently. Slightly differently, yeah. right? This is where the students are just tired and bored and they're, all their energy is just gone. And also, we're the, getting into the teachers some... being tired and bored with all their energy gone. But, and uh, bad weather. Yeah, the, yeah everything, Hot, everything humid, it all hits. Rainy, the right. holidays are over. The temperatures are rising. The air conditioning doesn't get turned on until June 1st. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Um, okay. And yeah, the, the students are stricken with Gogatsubyo. And uh, if you're going to pop, that's probably a <laughs> real good time. So <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be talking about ways that... Um, if not, right. not actually, well, maybe good ways to prevent it, but you know, the different ways that it can happen, give you some signals and maybe some ways to cope right. with that. Actually, what yeah, we've done, actually, what worked what do for us do? and what we didn't, right? What have we done when we've been in that situation? Yeah. So whereas today is walking on water, maybe next week is climbing out of a hole. Or drowning. Yeah. Right. And I like what Bill Clinton once said, when you find yourself in a hole, the first rule is stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Okay. So I think we've covered a lot. Again, we hope that, uh, We've talked about some things that maybe you won't hear too often, talking about teaching. This is Two Teachers Talking, Tony Silva and Charles Wiz, and our website is twoteacherstalking.com. And, Tony, if people want to get hold of us, they should email us at twoteacherstalking two at gmail.com, right? At gmail.com, exactly. And, uh, now, and big, right. you know, big news and for us is not only do we have our website up, but uh, as of this week, we are on, or last week, actually, we were, uh, we were on iTunes as well. So you can subscribe and get uh, each of these episodes automatically. So we uh, hope you take advantage of that. And, mm. uh, of course, uh, really look That's back right. to your feedback. We're really happy the feedback that we've gotten so far. Really appreciate it. Um, either by sending us that email. Um, if you like okay, the show, so please do give us a rating there on iTunes yeah. <laughs> or a review. Hit that five star. We'd much appreciate it. And uh, next time we'll be talking about losing it. Charles? Only if you think we deserve it, by the way. Oh, of course. Wait, only if if only if only you... <laughs> right, please. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm lying. I'm lying. Put the five star up no matter what you think. But seriously, um, next week should be interesting for people. What do you do when you lose it? When your patience runs out and maybe you think you've communicated um, impatience to a student and a variety of other things. And it, yeah, okay. I, I think each of us have some interesting tales about that. <laughs> we tend to explode yes. rather dramatically. <laughs> Right, and we are not the calmest, uh, you know, most zen-like people in the world. Yeah. I think, but that comes with a dramatic kind of teaching personality. But given that, um, I just want to say thanks to everybody for listening. And Tony, always good talking with you. Yes. And um, I'm looking forward to chatting about losing it. Yeah, it should be cathartic if nothing else. If nothing else. Okay. <laughs> okay. You be well, Tony. Until thanks. then, you too. See you. Bye.